Good morning. How's everyone doing this morning? Fine? Great? Good? We've made it through the long month. January is over. February is here at last. What a relief. Absolutely. Weather's still cold. This is the fifth week, fifth week in our New Year teaching series entitled Tough Talk. How are people finding it? How are you getting on with it? Has anyone reached the point where you're like, just give us some easy talk, please? About some chill talk. Maybe that will be the, the title of our next series. We'll, we'll have to see. Chill talk, coming soon. Well, if nothing else, I hope that the series has inspired um, some conversations in your um, life groups or at home if you're not currently in a life group. Um, hopefully the series has given you some confidence in how to deal with some of these really challenging things that Jesus said, because we can't just ignore this stuff, can we? We can't just pretend that it's, it's not there. If we're going to be serious about following after Jesus with our, our whole lives, then we need to kind of really get our teeth into some of this um, more, more challenging stuff. And so we started this series, um, as I said, five weeks ago, thinking about what it really means to be a follower of Jesus. The first few weeks, we really focused in on that theme, thinking about how Jesus always calls us into a deeper relationship with him, how he encourages us to, to count the cost before we start out on this journey and be sure that we're pursuing him with our whole lives. And now we're kind of moving on in the series to look at and think about what a life lived for Jesus really looks like. What specifically is it that he is calling us to in our lives? So last week we considered how um, the, the importance of not repaying evil for evil. We looked at that that challenging passage in Matthew 5 about turning the other cheek and going um, the extra mile, about not standing on our own rights, but letting go of them in favour of the other. And so really this week, what I want to do is pick up from where Steve left off last week, because, you know, Jesus encourages us not to seek revenge, absolutely to leave room for God. Um, and we know that's a challenge, but Jesus doesn't leave it there. He calls us deeper still. And actually what he asks of us is that we forgive the person that's wronged us, that we forgive them. And so our theme um, for this week is just that, forgiveness. How do we take that next step and forgive people that have hurt us? You'll have to excuse me this morning, I've got a little bit of a cold and as you know men suffer far, far more than, than women. So I might need to take a few sips of water as we go along. Now, if you're sitting here this morning and you're thinking, oh, forgiveness, that's cool. No worries, I've got the forgiveness thing down. Not an issue for me. I can um, grab a quick nap this morning while this is going on. I wonder um, if you would do me a favour this morning. Um, and as I'm speaking this morning, as I'm talking through this issue of forgiveness, would you mind praying for those of us that are currently struggling with forgiveness? Because whether this applies to you now or not, I think that this area, this topic of conversation, is one of those areas that we all struggle with from time to time. 
I know certainly in my walk with Jesus, in my time as a Christian, I've had huge difficulties in this area in the past. And I'm sure um, that I will again. And so just be gracious and pray for us if you are fine at the moment. Um, We're going to start this morning by reading from the Gospel of Matthew. We're going to read in chapter 6, if you've got your Bibles with you. Most of today's teaching is from Matthew 6 and Matthew 18. So I'll just give you a chance to turn there. Matthew 6 is just one chapter on from where we were last week. It's the same um, body of teaching, the same sermon of Jesus's, if you like. He's still speaking to his disciples speaking to those that are following him, those that are learning from him, those that are learning what this new life that he's calling to looks like. And in verse 5, he starts to talk to them about prayer, specifically about how it is that they should pray, what it is they should say when they're communicating with their heavenly Father. And if you look down at verse 9, I'm sure you will see some words that are very familiar, even if you didn't really grow up in church, because this is... Um, this is the Lord's Prayer. It's a very famous words. We used to have to say them um, in primary school. At the, end of, uh, at the end of every assembly, we would recite it together. And it goes like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Feel free to join in if you haven't said it already today. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread And forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil. And sometimes we we put on the end, for thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Because it's not a real prayer unless you put amen on the end. Okay? That was a joke. Um, we know it, don't we? It's familiar. It's nice. It's, um, it's a really important prayer. It's a prayer that Jesus wants us to, to pray on a, a daily basis. Starts off with some nice stuff about God. Hallowed be your name. That just means that God's name is holy, that we should bring him honour, that we should revere him, love him for who he is. And then we come to the, the kingdom come bit that means that we want God to, to rule in our, in our hearts and in our lives and also in our land. We want him to shake things up, we want him to come in power. And then we've got the give us this day bit, which is God meeting our physical needs. It's about us trusting in his provision for us every day. But then we come to verse 12, which says, Forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. Sometimes instead of debts, we find the word trespasses, which I think has too many S's in. Other times the word sin. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And now what's interesting to me is it's this particular part of the prayer, this bit concerning forgiveness, that Jesus spends a little bit more time explaining to his followers. If we read on a little bit further down to verses 14 and 15, this is what Jesus says. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, Your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others of their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. It's 
almost as though Jesus anticipates that this forgiveness part of the Lord's Prayer is the bit that we as his followers are going to struggle with. And so he makes it very, very clear. He makes this incredible, hardcore statement. If we do not forgive others their sins, our Heavenly Father will not forgive us our sins. Tough break. Tough talk. Not chill talk. (laughs) This is hard. If we're going to take this passage at face value, it seems to be suggesting that that our salvation, the forgiveness that we have received from God for our sin is somehow conditional on the forgiveness that we offer to others. That can't be right, can it? Because, you know, God's forgiveness isn't based on what we do, it's based upon Jesus' sacrifice for us, right? And besides, forgiveness is really, really hard. What about when we feel like we just can't forgive someone? Where does that leave us? Are we out in the cold? What about if we we try and forgive, but then we still feel angry about what that person has done to us? Does that mean that God's still angry at us? And what sort of forgiveness is Jesus expecting anyway? Does it mean that we have to treat them as though they never hurt us? They never did anything wrong? Do we have to pretend Like everything is fine when really it's not? I've got some questions. I am going to try and answer them, so don't worry. Now thankfully this isn't the only place in Scripture where Jesus teaches around this area of forgiveness and what it entails for us. So if you still got your Bibles open, would you flick forward to Matthew 18, please? Now in this chapter, Jesus is again speaking to his followers, his disciples. This time he's talking to them about the way that they should treat each other as fellow believers, as members of the church, if you like. He starts off talking to them about how they should treat the children amongst them, and then he moves on to talk about what they should do if someone sins against them. If someone hurts you in some way or another, how are you supposed to respond to that person? What does he say? Well, interestingly, he doesn't say that you should post a passive-aggressive comment on Facebook and stop following them on Insta. (coughs) Surprising, I know. Um, He also doesn't say that we should call up our friends and tell them all the horrible things they did to us, making sure not to leave out any gory details. He also doesn't suggest slashing their tyres and keying their car and other stuff that's not in there. Actually, what he suggests in verse 15 is that we should go to them privately and explain what it is that they've done wrong. Pretty radical, I know. I think the reason he suggests this approach is because he wants to create opportunity for the relationship to be restored. Because he says, if, if they listen to you, you have won them over. The problem is fixed. So as though Jesus wants to create space for forgiveness and restoration and repentance to take place. And when we ignore this approach, when we involve others, when we seek vengeance ourselves, this opportunity for restoration becomes far less likely. This is a little bit of what we were looking at last week, the importance of laying down our own rights in order that we can reach the other. Now Jesus goes on to say that if they don't listen to you, if they're not prepared to recognise what it is that they've done wrong, then speak um, with another person present. 
It says, let somebody else help mediate the situation. One or two people, but no more than that. You know, keep it, keep it small. Because let's be honest, when we've been hurt by someone, we don't always think clearly, do we? Sometimes it can be helpful to have somebody else to help mediate that situation, make sure that we're not overreacting or blowing things out of proportion. And he says, then if that doesn't work, then involve the wider church. And so what we see here in Matthew 18 is that there's this, there's this slow escalation so that at every point there is opportunity for restoration. And often I think when we're hurt, we want to we leap to that last step, don't we? We want everyone to know how badly it is we've been treated. We want the whole world to rally to our side. We want to feel justified in our anger and our frustration. But for Jesus, for Jesus, the most important thing was that we win that person back. And so what we see in Matthew 18 is that forgiveness is not supposed to be a passive act where we simply allow ourselves to be mistreated and shrug our shoulders and walk away. At its heart, forgiveness is about restoration. It's about facing those that have hurt us and helping them understand what it is that they've done wrong in order that relationship might be mended. It's not about taking it and acting like nothing is wrong. Jesus knows that in his church, that among his followers, there will be times when we will hurt each other. When we will say things that will cause pain and division because at the end of the day, we're still sinful human beings, right? And what he wants to do is create an atmosphere of forgiveness where our first priority when we are hurt is not to see that person destroyed and cast out and done away with, but to see that person restored and that relationship mended. Now, I want to say at this point before I move on in the sermon that if you're in a situation where you are suffering abuse from someone and that being alone with that person is likely to lead to further abuse, your first priority is not forgiveness, it's safety. You need to get yourself somewhere safe and speak to somebody who can help. This is really, really important. Jesus doesn't want us to remain in abusive situations. He wants us to forgive, absolutely. But forgiveness does not mean that we allow ourselves to continue to be mistreated. That's really, really important. I think that's why Jesus suggests involving other people when they won't hear us on our own. That's really, really important. Jesus wants to create opportunity for forgiveness, but for some of us, that might mean that we need to get space first and have time away from the person who's hurting us. And if you need to speak to someone about that, then the church leadership is available to you this morning. Now, back in Matthew 18. Peter. Peter's about to pipe up. We all like Peter. Peter's listening to this conversation that Jesus is having, this teaching that he's giving. Um, And just like me, he's got some, some questions, good old Pete. He thinks, okay, all right, Jesus, so I need to forgive people. I need to to speak to them, go to them, explain what it is they've done wrong. They repent, I forgive them, we fix it, it's all fine. What about when they hurt me again? What about when they sin against me again? What then? How many times should I forgive them? How many times should I let them get away with it? Because there's got to be a limit to this forgiveness thing, right? There must be a point when enough is enough, surely. 
And so he puts his hand up. <laughs> Jesus! And Jesus looks at him. He says, Lord, how many times should I forgive a brother or sister who sins against me? And Jesus gives him a look like, what do you think? So he scratches his head and he says, uh, seven times? And Jesus smiles at Peter and he says, no, no, no. No, Peter, not seven, but 77 times. 77 times. Now I think what is happening here is that that Jesus is actually making a bit of a joke. I think he's having a bit of fun um, with Peter here. Because this number 77 is is mentioned in Scripture, it's mentioned on another occasion um, in Genesis 4, is where you can find it. You can look at it later for yourself. There's a guy called um, Lamech, who's a descendant of Cain. Um, And in Genesis 4, he's boasting. He's boasting to his wives about what he's done to a young man who has hurt him. And he says, I've killed him. I've killed a young man for wounding me. And then he talks of himself as being avenged 77 times. It's this extreme picture of vengeance and violence. And I think Jesus Jesus takes this extreme picture and uses it instead to introduce the idea of extreme forgiveness. Forgiveness that goes beyond what is expected or deserved. Peter doesn't get it, he's confused, obviously it's Peter. Um, And so to illustrate his point further, Jesus tells a story. It's a fictional story, but it's a story used to demonstrate a spiritual truth. And this is the story he tells. He says, therefore the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, cancelled the debt and let him go. But When the servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay it back. But he refused and instead went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants heard what happened, they were outraged and went and told the master everything that had happened. The master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I cancelled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In his anger, the master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all that he owed. And then Jesus concludes the story by saying this. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Very similar to the verse we read in Matthew 6. I'm not told what Peter's response is to the story. Maybe something um, like that. (laughs) Because Peter's suggestion of seven times is actually entirely reasonable. Some of the other teachers and and, and rabbis at the time had suggested that you should give someone a, forgive someone a maximum of three times. A maximum of three. Because their thinking was that if a person continued 
to sin against you, they thought about it and they continued to do it against you, then their repentance was obviously disingenuous. And so it's likely when Peter offers seven as his guest, he's actually being extravagant. And, and who could argue with him? You know, when someone has really hurt you, it's hard enough to forgive them once, isn't it? Let alone seven times. But Jesus wants Peter to recognise a deeper spiritual truth, and that's why he tells this story. And the story begins with a, a servant who owes the king a great debt. The NIV translation, which I read from, says he owes 10,000 bags of gold. Um, other translations say 10,000 talents you might have in your Bibles, which is between 60 and 100 million denarii, which is the currency of the day. 60 and a hundred million. To put that in context, the combined annual tribute of Galilee and Perea was only 200 talents. If you added Judea, Samaria and Idomenia, it only came to 600 talents. It means the man owed the king more money than existed in circulation in the country at the time. It was a, a laughably large number. It was ridiculous. It'd be like saying he owed the king a zillion pounds today. Stupid money. And so the point is that even if he worked every day for the rest of his life, he would hardly scratch the surface of the debt that they owed. As Peter is trying to figure out how he can possibly forgive someone 77 times, Jesus says, hold on a minute. Whoa now, Pete, you're missing the point. What about if the forgiveness that is required is more than could ever be repaid? What then? Because that's the situation you're in. That's the situation we're all in as sinful human beings. We all owe God more than we could ever repay. And so what does the king do? Well, in verse 27 we read that the servant's master took pity on him and cancelled the debt and let him go. Just like that, the king says, you're free. You're free from all that you owe me. There is no more debt between us. Can you imagine the weight that must have been lifted off his shoulders when he heard that? You're free. It's over. It's done. And of course, Jesus' point is that that's exactly what God does for us. He wipes the slate clean. He tears out the page. He deletes the file and then empties the recycle bin as well. Apostle Paul reflects on this in his letters to the Romans. He says, blessed are those whose transgressions are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord will never count against them. We've been set free from all that we owe God. He will never count our sin against us. And so what Jesus is saying is that this, this picture of the merciful king is how we should forgive. That we should let go of the debts that are owed to us by those that have hurt us. That we should no longer keep people in that place of unforgiveness, that place of debt, but that we would release them from it. Now you might say, well, what about if they don't deserve to be forgiven? Because when people hurt us, sometimes we try and find a reason to forgive them, don't we? We, we say, well, were they angry? You know, did they not know any better? Is it stress-related? We might look for a way to excuse the behaviour, try and remember some of those good qualities um, that they might have. But you know, forgiveness is never about fairness and balance. It's about grace. 
Because if you, if you earn it or deserve it, it's no longer forgiveness, it's justice. In the story, the servant is standing before the king in the knowledge that there is no way he could ever repay. The debt is insurmountable. He cannot make things right, but instead of condemnation, the king chooses mercy. Christian author Philip Yancey says that like grace, forgiveness has about it a maddening quality because it is undeserved, unmerited, and unfair. None of us deserve to be forgiven by God, but he forgave us anyway. Hallelujah. And so when we're hurting, when we have someone that we need to forgive, what we need to do is remind ourselves is that we are in exactly the same position as the person who has hurt us. Just like them, we too are in need of forgiveness. We're sinners. We need to humble ourselves and remember that God, in his mercy, has shown us unmerited favour. C.S. Lewis says, to be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. That's interesting, isn't it? I think, I think when someone hurts us, we tend to get stuck in a bit of a, a feedback loop where we're replaying the incident over and over and over and over again in our mind, thinking about what they did to us and how they hurt us and, and analysing it from every possible angle and obsessing over it. And all the while we do that, we grow in bitterness and, and resentment and frustration and anger and that division between us gets bigger and bigger and we become entrenched, we become stuck in that, that one place. And I've met people, I've met people that haven't spoken to family members for 20, 40, 60 years because of this one thing that happened all that time ago. And I think what Jesus is saying is change the film. Change the film from what was done to you to what was done for you. The Welsh minister, Selwyn Hughes, says that when people say to me, my problem is I can't forgive, I say, no, that's not your problem. Your problem is you don't know how much you've been forgiven. Stop thinking about what happened between the person who wronged you and instead think about what happened between you and God. Do you remember? You were a lost Cause, hopeless, far from God, in an impossible situation, and yet God reached down and forgave you all that you'd done. Did you deserve it? No, of course not. But Jesus died for you anyway. He made a way for you back to his heavenly Father. And when we focus on that, we start to gain some perspective. We, we move ourselves into a better position to be able to forgive. But it's still hard, isn't it? It's still hard. C.S. Lewis also said that everyone says forgiveness is a lovely idea until they have something to forgive. And it's true. I think it's true because often we're ruled by our emotions. If we look at the story again, when the servant leaves the court of the king, we're told that he runs into a fellow servant who owes him a hundred silver coins. Just a hundred. Nothing compared to what he owed the king, but all the servant can see is the wrong that was done to him. So he says he grabs the guy and he begins to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demands. He allows his emotions to run amok, to take over. If we're being honest this morning, I'm sure from time to time we've all considered wringing someone's neck. Just a little bit, maybe. I had a weird flashback when I was thinking about this sermon this week to an incident between me and my brother where um, I may have laid on hands in the non-Christian sense. Um, <laughs> 
But it's, it's like us, it's what we're like, isn't it? We, we're driven by our emotions. We say things like, I can't forgive, I'm just too angry. It hurts too much. I'm too upset. One of the things I think we need to grasp this morning is that forgiveness always begins with a decision, not with an emotion. The king decided to forgive the debt. The servant decided not to. Jesus concludes this way, he says, This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Now in Jesus' day, the heart was thought of the place where decisions were made. Emotions came from, um, from the bowels, from the gut, from deep inside of you, your emotions come. But choices and decisions were always made in the heart. It didn't really have a word for kind of mind as we would perhaps think about decision making today. The heart is where you make your decisions. Mark eleven twenty five says, when you, when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them so that your heavenly Father may forgive your sins. When you stand, when you're standing praying, normal, normal thing to do, stand up praying, if, if, any, if you have anything against anyone, forgive them. Forgive, it's just, it's, just do it. <laughs> it's really simple, isn't it? Forgive them. Just forgive them. Now that decision might result in a change of behaviour and attitude slowly over time, but it has to start with a choice. It has to start with a decision. I think often it's a decision that we have to make more than once. I think sometimes we forget that we've forgiven someone. But I think that's why Jesus taught us to pray every day, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. It reminds us that we've forgiven them. (laughs) I forgave them. And then we ask for God's help to align the rest of our lives to that decision. Martin Luther King Jr. said, forgiveness is not an occasional act, it's a permanent attitude. It's an attitude of heart that is willing to see the person and the relationship restored regardless of the cost. First we make the decision to forgive and then we make every effort to mould our lives to that decision. Of course, in the story, the servant chooses not to forgive, but to condemn. He has his fellow servant thrown in jail until he can pay back the debt. I'm not sure how he was ever going to pay back the debt from a jail cell, but maybe that's the point. When we keep people in unforgiveness, we imprison them, and we deny them the opportunity for restoration, which, as we know, Jesus is against. I think this is why Jesus has such an issue with unforgiveness. I think this is why he says in Matthew 6, if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive you your sins. Because what right have we to keep people in unforgiveness when we ourselves have been forgiven so much? Philip Yancey explains it this way. He says, by denying forgiveness to others, we're in effect determining them unworthy of God's forgiveness. And thus so are we. See, it's not so much that our, forgiveness of an, our unforgiveness of others robs us of our salvation, but when we don't forgive, we are refusing to allow our salvation to have any impact on our lives whatsoever. When we stand on our own rights, when we demand justice for what's been done to us, why should God treat us any differently? We need to be sure that the forgiveness we receive from God doesn't stop with us, but that it flows out of us. 
You see, as followers of Jesus, we're called to be streams of forgiveness and grace, not stagnant pools of unforgiveness and disgrace. Streams of forgiveness and grace, not stagnant pools of unforgiveness and disgrace. The Apostle Paul writes in Colossians 3.13, Bear with each other. Forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And so when we read that verse in Matthew 6, those uncomfortable words, we need to remember the incredible truth behind it. That we forgive because we've been forgiven. I'm out of time. Let me try and bring this to a close this morning. I wonder um, if the band want to come and join me. And then if I can't bring it to a close, they can just play me off like at the Oscars. <laughs> That'd be fine. I found it, uh, it's a really challenging sermon to write this week because there's so much, um, so much more that I could say on the subject of forgiveness. So much more that I haven't said. I haven't really talked about the benefits of forgiveness, not only for the one that's been forgiven, but for the one who learns to forgive, they're, they're overwhelming. And we haven't really talked about what to do when the person that we're needing to forgive either doesn't want to be forgiven or doesn't accept our forgiveness. What do we do then? I think we still need to forgive, because that's what Jesus calls to. I think Jesus uses this imagery of jailers and torturers quite deliberately, because I think unforgiveness it imprisons us. It, tra- it traps us, it tortures us. And I think Jesus' desire is that we would be able to live free from that. I think Jesus wants us to remain in a place of freedom in our lives. It's alarming, isn't it, in the story how quickly the guy goes from being in the court of the king and receiving grace and forgiveness and that weight being lifted from him and everything being so wonderful to immediately going outside and demanding his justice. But it's very like us. We're very quick sometimes to forget all that God has done for us. And so I I just want to leave you with a challenge, I guess, as we sing this, this last song together this morning, as we stand together in worship and prayer. What does Jesus say as you stand to pray and you remember you have something against someone? Forgive them. If there's someone in your life this morning that you need to forgive, would you make that decision in your heart this morning? Now that decision might have consequences. It might mean that, that we need to, to, you need to reach out to them. It might mean that you need to talk to them and explain some things. Remember for Jesus, forgiveness is about creating opportunity for restoration, not just letting stuff go. But I wonder if this morning we could we at least change the film. Instead of thinking about all the ways in which we've been hurt, the ways in which we've been damaged, could we think about all the ways in which God has forgiven us? All the things that God has let go. I think there's a temptation when we've um, been hurt to think that we owe God 100 pieces of silver and the person who's hurt us owes us 10,000 bags of gold. (laughs) But it's the other way around, really. I'm sure they don't deserve it. I'm sure they don't deserve forgiveness, but then neither do we. How wonderful it is that we have a God who forgives us anyway. I wonder if we can do the same this morning. Can we be streams of forgiveness and grace 
that stagnant pause of unforgiveness and disgrace. Lord, if you stand with me, let's just pray. Let's just be silent for a minute.